what it is, and for the foreseeable future, it looks like that's the way that it's going to be. What am I supposed to do? When I'm looking at my life and someone dies, someone that I love, someone that I cherish, someone that I depend upon, somebody gets divorced, I'm single. I'm in my 20s and I'm single. I'm in my 60s and I'm single. And that's just the way that it is. And I might as well get used to it. I look at my children. I look at my children and, you know, I've got, I've got, I've got a nephew of mine and you know what? They've been telling him for years, for the last two or three years, those grades matter. The grades that you make in, in high school, they matter. If you want to go to college, if you want to have a career, if you want to do all these things that, that, that you say you want to do, those grades matter. And now you come towards the, end, to, towards the end of that senior year and you realize, hey, those grades matter. But you know what? It's too late. It's too late. And now a lot of those doors that you wanted to be open, they're not open. They are slammed shut and they're not going to open anytime soon. And that future that you had planned just isn't going to be a reality. It can't be a reality now. And those kids grow up and they get friends and they fall in love and they get engaged and they don't ask you about that. And they marry people and maybe you like them and maybe you don't, but all of a sudden you've got family. You've got in-laws and you've got son-in-laws and you've got daughter-in-laws and you didn't pick them out. But they're your family. And some of you are smiling because you've just spent Christmas with them. Right? And it is what it is and there's not a whole lot you could do about it. What are, you, what are you supposed to do? There's nothing that you can do. It's your new normal. We say, we toss it around, and we've all got family. And we joke about it. And we laugh because if we don't laugh, we might cry. Right? And we look around and we say, well, you got it, and you got it, and you... No, and you don't have what I have. Folks, we've all got it. I go, to one, I go to one of my family get-togethers, and I'm telling you, we could, we could put out the best redneck Christmas card that there ever has been. That's who I celebrate Christmas with every year, okay? And we talk about duck hunting and shotgun shells, and that may do it for some of you guys, it doesn't do it for me. Two, two, two Christmases ago, there was a pig that was running to the living room, pooping as it went, as it went down. That's my family Christmas. What am I supposed to do about that? I didn't ask for that. I celebrated Christmas this year, guys. Other side of the family, me and Shelly, both, we both got family. Now I got her family and she's got my family. I celebrated Christmas this year. And someone that I love very much and someone who's been at every Christmas that I've ever had in my entire life for 37 years was not there. Wasn't there. Didn't die. It was about two blocks over. And it is what it is, what it is. I guess this is the way it's going to be. What do you do? And there's nothing that you can do. If there was, I'd do it. If there was a, if there was a step, it would. You just do this or you just do that. We would do it, wouldn't we? But I'm looking at this thing and I'm saying, I, I can't fix this. One of you told me recently, he said, you, you, you said, you know, all those hopes and those dreams and those pictures that you have of what your family is going to be like when your kids get grown and your kids get married... He just said it's not going to be that way. 
And I hate to burst your bubble, but it's not going to be that way. And I don't know if it's going to be that way or not, but I know for this person, it ain't that way. And it hurts. It's his new normal. It's just the way that it is. Sometimes we face these things financially. The hopes and the dreams, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to live in this place, and we're going to be this sort of person. And you come to a point in your life where you realize, that's just not going to happen. That's just not going to happen. You find yourself in a job that you hate. You find yourself fired from a job. What am I supposed to do? How am I, how am I supposed to, to respond to this, to this new to this new normal. And everyone in this room understands to some degree or another what that feels like. I'm looking at my life and I'm wondering, how did we get here? How did we get here? Because this is not where I want to be, it's not where I expected to be, but it most definitely is where I am. Maybe it's physical. Maybe your body, and, and you, you have something, and the doctors have told you you have something, and it's not going to kill you tomorrow, but they can't cure it. They can treat it. They can help you deal with it. But for the rest of your life, you're going to have this. And it's going to be chronic, and it's going to be debilitating, and there's nothing they can do about it. It's just the way that it is, and you're going to have to get used to it. See, these are those times in our life where our faith is tested. Our willingness to depend upon God. What do I do when there's nothing that I can do? And over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about this subject from, 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 a, lot of different, from, from a lot of different backgrounds. You know, it's, it's in those moments that, that we're, tempted, we're tempted to really believe some lies, some big lies, Sometimes we, we, we look at ourselves and, and we have, we have our, our pity parties and we've all had those pity parties and sometimes we just need someone to cry with us and sometimes we just need someone to put their arm around us. But, but sometimes in those times we, we just think, I'll never be happy again. I mean, I, I, I'll, never, I'll never have joy in my life again because this thing has happened in, in my marriage, in my family, to my children, financially, socially, uh, physically. I can never have joy in my life and this is going to ruin everything for the rest of my life. And some people, some people believe that lie to such an extent that they, they come to a point where they say, is it even worth living? Why do people take their life so often? People take their life because they look at their life and they see what it is and they don't see any way that any, anything any good can come from it and they think, I'll never be happy again. And they say, I might as well check out. Because that's a lie. That's a lie. Now, it's a lie that's really easy to believe, but it's a lie. We believe a lie. We believe a lie that nothing good can come from this. And in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our trials, it's so easy to believe, you know what, this thing that I'm going through is so terrible, I dare you to say something good can come from it. I dare you, preacher. I dare you to, to get up and quote, quote some Bible verse or give me some pithy statement and tell me something good can come out of this mess that I'm dealing with. I don't believe any good can come from this. We want to believe it. But it's a lie too. It's a lie. Friends, we just talked about the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. 
the crucifixion of our Lord. And friends, it led to the salvation of all of mankind. We'll talk about those things as we go forward. I want us to understand in the midst of our new normals that God is not absent. God is not apathetic. And that God is not angry. And this is really the point that, that, that I want us to drill home in, in this first lesson this morning that, that I want you to take with you because, because when, when you are in the midst of the storm, when you are in the midst of the trial, or, or when you are in, 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 the, in the center of, of that new normal that we're, that we're talking about, it, it's, so easy, it's so easy to say, well, where is God? Where are you at, God? Why don't, why don't you do something about this? Because I've prayed... And I've come to church, you're here this morning, right? And I've tried to do all the things that I knew I could do and all the things that I knew you wanted me to do, and yet I don't see you doing anything. I don't see it getting any better. As a matter of fact, a lot of times I see it getting worse. Where are you at, God? I want us to know that God's, that God's silence does not mean that God is absent. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't care. We think, God, you could... But you don't. I know that you could, but you haven't. Do you care? I mean, God, maybe, maybe my problems are just too small, right? And you're and you're 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 ruling the ruling the world, and you got bigger problems, and we got we got unrest in the Middle East, and we got well, we got all these things that are going on all over our world, and, and maybe you don't have time for my problems. Maybe my problems really just don't matter. And I want us to know that that's not true either. God does care. Even when He's silent. Even when He doesn't say a thing. As a matter of fact, it might be during those times that we can truly see the love of God more than any other. Parents, have you ever held your tongue because you love your children more than anything else in the world? Have you ever held your tongue and held back and not done and not intervened simply because you loved your child? Sometimes we say, well, well, maybe I did something to cause this. And maybe we did. Maybe, maybe at times we're, we're reaping what we have sown, but, but that's not really what, what we're talking about. We're talking about these situations of life that I didn't cause this. But like Job, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but, but I didn't do anything to cause that. Right? There's no correlation there. I don't know what's bringing this about. I want us to know that God's not angry with us. Sometimes it just is what it is, and that's the way that it is. And there's nothing that you can do about it as much as you wish that there was. What I want us to do this morning is, is I want us to open up the Scriptures and I want us to see... I want us to see people in the life of Jesus. I want us to see people that Jesus knew. I want us to see people that Jesus loved. I want us to see people that Jesus cared about who went through these exact same things when they looked around at their life and they said, is this just the way it's going to be? Where are you at, God? Why don't you do something? I don't understand. You haven't consulted me about these things. God is silent. But that does not mean that God is absent. It does not mean that God is apathetic. And it does not mean that God is angry. Maybe, 
Maybe if we could find those people within the pages of God's Word who are having the same struggles and the same doubts. The people were going through those things that it just didn't look like they were going to change anytime soon. I don't know that that would fix our problems, but I know it can make me feel better about it. You ever feel better about your problems when you realize other people have the same problems? Don't we? Uh, in, in our last lesson, we're going to talk about God has comforted us in order to comfort other people. But, but we talk about that, that fellowship of pain, that fellowship of suffering. When you realize this person, you're dealing with the same thing that I'm dealing with. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know what I get from that, but I get something from that. Right? You mean you struggle with weight all of your life too? Right? Dustin, when you talk to me about what you eat and what you don't eat, it doesn't do anything for me. And somebody who's like me and they've been on a diet all their life and they've lost like a billion pounds and gained it back, I listen to that. I don't know what it is. I get a connection there. You mean, you mean you've, you've gone through a divorce too? You mean you know what it means to be single? One of the coolest things that we have going on in our congregation. Right? We, have, we have this... This, this, this single mother's Bible class on Wednesday night. It's awesome. I love that class. You know what? I can't teach that class. I mean, I could teach that class. I mean, I could come in and we could talk about the Bible, but, but I can't teach that class. can't teach it like the, like the way those ladies teach it, can I? Why? Because there's a fellowship there. And what I'm looking for in the Bible is I'm, I'm looking for somebody. I'm looking for somebody real who's just like me and struggling in the way that I'm struggling. And God doesn't seem to do anything. But yet we know that God loved that person. If you have your Bibles, open them up to, to Luke chapter 7. Because I'm not just going to give you one, I'm going to give you two. And I know you said we've got ten minutes left. And we'll, we'll go through some of this quickly. Because you, 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 know, you, know you know these stories. I, I, I want us to begin here in Luke, in Luke chapter 7 and verse 20. Where, where we come to the disciples of John the baptizer. And, and Jesus is there and He's teaching the people and the disciples of, of, John, of John the baptizer come and, and they come to Jesus and they say, Are you the expected one? Or do we need to look for someone else? Are you the now, This is a question that's coming from, the, from a man who took all of his disciples and pointed at Jesus and said, Behold, there is the Lamb of God. There is the man that I'm not fit to tie his shoes. Unequivocally, he said, there's the Messiah. And now the question is, are you really the Messiah? That thing that I had no doubts about, all of a sudden I've got some doubts about. All of a sudden I'm needing some help. I'm needing some reassurance about. Now, why didn't John come and ask that question himself? Why, 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 why did he send his disciples? Where's John at? Where's John at? Somebody, somebody tell me, where, where's John at? He's in prison. He, he's, he's in jail, right? John can't come because he's sitting behind bars rotting away. What does it mean to be in prison? We go into the jails on Wednesday night. And I hope we have more of you that will come because we need more of you to come. But every time I get to leave that place, and week after week and month after month, and some of those guys have been there for years, and they can't leave. And they say, would, would you tell my grandfather this? Would you tell this family member that? Could, 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 you, could, you, look, could you look in on my wife, on my children? Because I can't leave this place. Now, why, why is John the baptizer in jail? 
Why is he in prison? He's not in some fancy, he's not in some fancy air-conditioned jail like we got down here at Hardin County. Okay? He's, he's in the dungeon. He's in the pit. Why, why is he in that place? He's been preaching. He's in that place because he was doing what, what God wanted him to do, because he was standing up for God's word. He, he, he got on he, he, it's the same thing today. He got on a marriage divorce and remarriage. Right? Is that what we're preaching on? Well, we can have a big crowd because what are you going to say about that? And I dare you to say this, and I dare you to... Well, he just, he just told it like it was. And he told it to the wrong person. He told it to the wrong person. That's why he was in that prison cell because he said to Herod, listen, you can't have your brother's wife. And that ought to seem pretty self-explanatory to all of us, but it wasn't to Herod. They didn't like him talking about who he could or he couldn't be married to, who he could or he couldn't sleep with. They got upset and they threw him into prison. And they left him there. They left him there in that place. How did Jesus feel about John the baptizer? How did He feel about him? I mean, He was related to him, right? So you kind of got to claim him because He was related to him. We're talking about that family that we had. Was it, was it just a relative? Now, Jesus said some things about John the baptizer that are truly amazing. Things that He hadn't said about, about anyone that I know of. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11, Jesus said this about John. Matthew 11 and verse 11. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, amongst those that are born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the baptizer. How many of you were born of a woman? Everybody, right? Some of you guys don't have your hands up and you got a story to tell. Okay? Everybody was born. He's saying, John the Baptist is the greatest man in the world. That's what Jesus said. Amongst those born of women, there has not arisen, arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. How do I feel about him? He's the greatest man in the world. That's what Jesus thought. So what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do when He found out that, 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 that John, His relative, His spiritual brother, the man that He said was the greatest man in all of the world? What did Jesus do when He found out? What do you think He'd do? Did He go visit him? What would you do if you found out... If you found out West was... I know I'm not the greatest person in the world, but we'll just use me for example. If you found out that I was in jail, I got put in jail for preaching the truth... What would you do? Bradley, would you come visit me? I know you're busy, but would you come visit me? Yeah, I think you would. You better come visit me, Bradley. Okay? I mean, at the very least, you better, you better come see me. Would you send me a care package? You know, we have our, our Thanksgiving meals and we take those to, the, to, to a lot of our widows, but we go and we feed all those guys down at the jail because we want them to know you're not alone and people care about you and people love you. Right? Would you send me something? I don't know what you can get in and what you can't get in, but you'd send me wherever you could, wouldn't you? Would he break him out? Right? I mean, it's not without precedence that people get arrested and then God breaks them out of jail. I'm not encouraging jail breaks in any shape, form, or fashion. Okay? But there were times where God broke people out of jail who shouldn't have been in jail. What did Jesus do when He found out that John the baptizer, His cousin, whom He loved more than anyone in the world? In Matthew 4 and verse 12, the Bible says, when He heard that John had been taken into custody, 
You got the call. You got the news. They just arrested John, and John was standing for your word and for your Father's truth. John 4 and verse 12, when he heard, the Bible says that he withdrew into Galilee. If you got a little map, you can look in the, in the map in the back of your Bible, and you're going to find that when John, when John was taken to Machaerus in the south, and Jesus heard about it, he went the other way. He went the exact opposite direction of where John was. Do you, do you know why John was having some doubts? Do you understand why John was struggling as he looked around and everything that he stood for and everything that he had fought for and all of a sudden, he's left there. He's left to rot in a jail cell for doing what was right. Jesus went in the opposite direction. Do you ever feel like that? Sometimes, sometimes I wonder and I think, God, it's not just that you don't feel like you're here. It feels like you're running away from me as fast as you can get. And so John says, are you really the Christ? Are you really the Messiah? And so Jesus answers. He answers with what seems like a really strange answer. He answered and He said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard, that the blind receive sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Here's your answer. You go back and you tell that man who's rotting in that prison cell, you go back and you tell him about all the stuff that I've been doing for everybody else. And I look around and I say, well, why does God do this for that person and this for that person and blesses this person and blesses that person? And, and I'm, I'm stuck here in this, in this situation, in this season that I didn't ask to be in and I didn't want to be in, but I'm definitely here. You can believe in me. You can believe in me even when I'm not doing the things that you expect or that you understand. Because of all the things that I'm doing for everyone else. You see, even when we're in a prison cell, Jesus can still know our name. Jesus can still love us. Even when He doesn't do what we think He ought to do. Even when He doesn't do what we expect or what we understand. God is working in this world. And many times God is even working through our lives. You remember what happened to John the Baptist, don't you? He never got out of that jail. Eventually, Herodias got so upset and eventually because of what he taught and because of what he said, they cut his head off and they put it on a platter. That's what happened to the greatest man that Jesus said had ever been born of women. I got problems. I don't got problems like that. Not yet. And then Jesus says something really interesting. That's what Bob read for us as we began the lesson this morning. Jesus said, And blessed is He who keeps from stumbling over Me. This is a powerful verse. Because in the context, what is He saying? He's not, he's not just saying, I'm going to offend everybody. That's not, that's not what this is. Jesus is saying, Blessed is the person who trusts and they believe in spite of their circumstance of life. 
in spite of this thing that we call life that looks more like a mess. Blessed is the person who trusts even when it seems like I'm not acting on their behalf. Blessed is the person who trusts even when they don't understand. Blessed is the person who does not interpret my silence as my absence. That's what Jesus says. I got lots of ideas about what God ought to do and how God should and how God will. I don't, but I don't know. I'm not God. But I know that God is here. And I know that God knows me. And I know that God loves me. In spite of this world that would shout at me every day that God could care less about you. God shouts through His creation. God shouts through His hand and He shouts through His Word. I am there in the midst of your suffering. I love you and I cherish you even, even when you look at your life and you say, there's nothing that I can do but trust. There's another example in the life of Christ where, where a man by the name of Lazarus and Jesus is going about His day-to-day activities and He's going about, about teaching. And, and the Bible says that Lazarus became sick. He became deathly sick. And what do you do when people are deathly sick? You call in the family, right? A lot of you have gotten those phone calls. Some of you have had to make those phone calls. We've called in the family. It's not good. Some of you have taken trips. We, we're going to take one last-ditch effort The doctors have said that there's nothing they can do. We're going to find a doctor who can do something. Lucy and David just got back from Texas. Good news, her tumor is shrinking. But she went there. She went there because she was out of options. Go get Jesus. Go get the one who has healed blind people. Go get the one who has made lame people walk. Go get the one who has raised people from the dead. Don't just go get Jesus. You go and get our friend, Jesus. And we, we have these sayings, it's not always what you know, but who you know. And some of you know people. And sometimes we, we face things in life and you're like, I know somebody. I know somebody who can help us with that. Right? I've got a cousin, a brother, an uncle, someone who I went fishing with, someone this, someone that, and this is that person. I'm going to call them because we have a relationship. They owe me a favor. I can take care of that. And so the sister sent, saying, Lord, behold, he who you love is sick. The one whom you love is sick. They didn't even say his name. Now, if I just said that to you, if I just said, if I just said, Robert, the one that you love is sick, who am I talking about? It's a pretty short list, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I, if someone says, Wes, the, 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 the one that you love is sick, I'm going to look, and my wife's right there, and she's doing okay, and there's my son, and there's my daughter, and I'm thinking, i got to get up. i got to go to Missouri. i got to go find my mama. i got to go find my daddy. i got to go find my grandma. And besides that, I don't know if too many people are going to fit into that category. It's a real short list of people that I love of people that I cherish at a point where if somebody says, the one that you love is ill, I'm going to know who you're talking about. The one that Jesus loved was sick and He was dying. 
What's Jesus going to do? What's the man who healed strangers going to do? I mean, the man that when, that, that, that when people would come and they would touch the hem of his garment and they would be healed. Strangers. People that he'd never met. People he'd never talked to. And now the one that he loves is sick. What are you going to expect him to do? You know the greatest dog, you, 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 you know the greatest heart doctor that, that, the, that the world has ever seen. He, he's a doctor up, up at Vanderbilt, and all of a sudden he's healed and he's world renowned. He's on the cover of magazines and, and he does all this philanthropy and all, all of this help for people who can't afford doctors. And all of a sudden you've got a heart problem, and he's your best friend in the whole world. What, what are you expecting? You better get me in. Aren't you? You better get me in. He's healed strangers and all sorts of people. The Bible says in verse 11 and verse 5, in case you have any doubts, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and his... Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So what did He do? When everybody else said, we got to go. Get your things. Get in the car. we got to go. He said, sit down. We're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. He didn't go. But you know, Jesus didn't even have to go, did He? Right? The centurion said, all you have to do is say the Word. You don't have, you don't have, they don't have to touch your garment. You don't have to lay your hands on them. You're the Son of God. All you have to do is say He's going to be healed. And whether they're here this morning or not, they're going to be healed. But Jesus didn't say a word. That's all He had to do. And He didn't utter one word. And Mary and Martha were not going to understand. And they didn't understand. And they were going to get angry. And they did get angry. And they were going to judge Him and judge His motives. And that's exactly what, what they did. And Lazarus got sicker and sicker and sicker. And then he died. It is what it is, and that's the way that it's going to be. And Jesus knew His name and He loved Him. Do we understand that Jesus is here in the midst of your new normal? I mean, however that may be. And everybody in this room could tell me about something that you're dealing with that there aren't a lot of good answers to. If there was an easy path, you would walk that path. If there was an obvious path, you would walk that path. It just isn't there. It just is what it is. Family, health, finances, relationships, occupations. On and on we go. Whether you are... Whether you're 18 years old or you're 98 years old, this is real. What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? We start this morning with this understanding. We are reassured that in the midst of the storm, God is not absent. God is not apathetic. And God is not angry. But God is here. And God cares. 
down to the number of hairs on your head. God cares as no one else does. God cares. And that's the God who says to you and to me, trust me, follow me, lean upon me. Everyone in this room has a story. I know that. I got a story. You know that. Everyone in this room has a God who knows the story and who cares about the story and has died to give you hope in the midst of your story. And so we send the invitation today to lean upon Him. To come, to take upon His yoke. Your yoke is unbearable. Life is bigger than you are, but His yoke, He says, is light and it is easy. But you must join yourself to Him. Come and be baptized into Christ. Come and be washed in His blood. Come and receive His grace and His mercy and His strength. You come to the preacher and you say, well, this is my situation. I don't have any good answers. But I serve a God who can take the cross of Jesus Christ and use it to save the world. And He can take my new normal and bring about His glory in this world. I believe that. And I live my life in pursuit of that. If you have that need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing?